Hello, this is William Fink of Christagenia.org, and this is Christagenia Internet Radio. Today is Friday, December 10th, 2021. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and thank you for listening. In three days, it will be 13 years since I've done my first podcast, back on December 13th of 2008. Tonight we are going to present the ordering and chronology of the ministry and epistles of Paul. And this is part one, and I've subtitled it, The Traveling Epistles. When I set out to write this presentation yesterday morning, I collected all of my notes and really thought that I could get it done in one week, but there's no way it's going to take two, but no more than two. Here I hope to gather into one place my interpretations of the time and place of the writing of each of the epistles of Paul of Tarsus. So here we shall discuss the traveling epistles, a name which I am giving to Paul's first eight epistles in order to distinguish them from the other six which were written while Paul was a prisoner. I may have called it the sojourning epistles or something similar to that, just to look for a name to distinguish it to distinguish them from the prison epistles. So it's traveling epistles, at least for the purposes of these presentations. So for this endeavor, I have collected at least most of the information from what I had already presented in our commentaries for each of the epistles of Paul and in our earlier commentary on the book of Acts, all of which spanned about 155 podcast presentations from April 2013 through December 2017. I believe this is important. It's important to Christian identity, especially as a reference guide. First, because we have had a skeleton article on the ordering and chronology of the epistles of Paul in the references section at Christagenia since August of 2015, which I have long hoped to complete. So that will be done in these next two broadcasts, this week and next week, Yahweh willing. But more importantly, there is much misinformation in the popular and supposedly authoritative academic sources concerning the ministry of Paul and the writing of his epistles. And it is convenient to have our own opinions of these things in one single article, or actually in in two single articles, but it will be one presentation, more or less, in two parts. Doing this, it will seem as if we are taking it for granted that Paul had written all 14 of the epistles which are commonly attributed to him. But the truth of that assertion should become even more evident as we proceed here, giving our reasons detailing both when and from where each of the epistles were written, and in certain cases, 
also as to why they were written. Furthermore, while for different reasons the Christogonian New Testament generally presents Paul's epistles in the traditional order found in other Bibles, we made exceptions, especially with Hebrews, and placed it before the four personal epistles which were addressed to Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. Another exception is minor, and that's in the order of the epistles to Timothy and Titus. But that first exception, placing Hebrews before Timothy, Titus, and Philemon, That we did in order to make a statement confirming our belief that Paul was indeed the author of the epistle to the Hebrews. He certainly was. But here we shall begin with the earliest epistle which Paul had written and proceed in the chronological order in which we believe he had written them all. In summary, we shall assert that the full and precise chronological order of the epistles of Paul is first, first Thessalonians, then second Thessalonians, then Galatians, first Corinthians, Titus, first Timothy, second Corinthians, and Romans, which were all written before Paul was arrested in Jerusalem. After his arrest, the epistle to the Hebrews was written. And then, after he was sent to Rome, Ephesians and Second Timothy, and once Timothy had joined him, as he requested in that epistle, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. There are also at least four missing epistles, and I think I've mentioned two or three in the past, but I can now identify four, which are mentioned or alluded to in these 14. And we shall discuss those at the very end of this presentation. That won't be this evening, that will be next Friday. While we only have 14 of Paul's epistles, and perhaps knowledge of four more which are now lost, It is also apparent that Paul had probably written hundreds of epistles over the 20 plus years of his ministry. But that we can only infer from the work ethic which his ministry reflects and from the fact that he must have been in frequent contact with his fellow workers via post. The Romans had a postal system as he often knew where to find them, or where to expect them to be at particular times. So we shall also illustrate examples of that aspect of his ministry here. We will not give all of the reasons why we believe that the passion of Yahshua Christ had taken place in 32 A.D., But while that date is our anchor, there is nothing in the book of Acts which ties events in Acts to it after the time of the Ascension and the first Christian Pentecost so that we may have a more accurate chronology of Acts. In other words, when Luke was writing the book of Acts, he didn't 
date things, like the Greek historians popularly dated events from how many years they were from Alexander the Great, for example, or which Olympiad they were in. In, in the four-year period of Olympiads, which was a system of dating in early Greece. So, we don't see anything like, in the tenth year from the resurrection of the Christ, or in the fifteenth year from the resurrection, we don't see that in the book of Acts, or in any of the New Testament writing. It was only later that, early Christians had begun counting years from what they thought was the year of the birth of Christ. So, that just doesn't exist in the book of Acts. But according to Luke, who is often quite detailed, and whom we have no reason to consider inaccurate, when he does give dates, Christ was baptized at age 30, in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. And we can date that to approximately September or early October in our calendars in the year A.D. 28. The Romans never called it A.D. 28, but that's what we call it today. From there, with the presumption that his ministry lasted for three and a half years, as certain prophecies, parables, and the feasts mentioned in the Gospel of John all suggest we can arrive at Passover or early April in 32 AD as the time of the crucifixion and resurrection. And the events of Acts chapter 2 had transpired seven weeks later. The Pentecost. Pentecost actually means 50. Seven weeks later was 49 days, and, and that's fine. But from there, and for the next 12 or 14 years, the chronology of the book of Acts is obscure. It's not out of reach. We will learn that here. But it is obscure. As Luke had written from accounts received from others, and not from his own observation. Luke himself is not personally introduced into the narrative until Acts chapter 16, and even then, not by name. There he began using the first-person plural pronoun, we, in reference to the actions of Paul and his company. And it becomes evident later that Luke had been with him since the apostles Paul and Barnabas had departed from Antioch to attend the council at Jerusalem, which is described in Acts chapter 15. Luke did not stay with him. Luke had actually separated from Paul when Paul departed from Philippi with Silas sometime later, after they had spent time in jail. And there was the earthquake, and, and the jailer almost killed himself, and Paul had saved the day for saved the day for him and Paul and Silas were ultimately released and parted ways and left Luke in Philippi and that was at the home of Lydia the maker of purple the the seller of purple purple cloths things that were dyed in purple so 
I'm not going to suggest that Paul and Lydia had some sort of romance or affair or anything like that, but it's evident that Luke stayed with her in Philippi purposely and doesn't really rejoin Paul for several years in Acts chapter 20. So I tend to imagine that that is the time when Luke was writing his gospel and recording the book of Acts. That is a suggestion. It's conjectural, but it seems to be very plausible. While I have not mentioned it in the past, I often suspect that Luke may have been the Lucius or Lucius of Acts chapter 13 verse 1 and certainly of Romans chapter 16 verse 21. But that must remain uncertain even if all the circumstances are in place by which to make such an identification. But I certainly make that identification. And I will, as we discuss the Epistle to the Romans, at the end of this evening. It is known from historical sources that Caiaphas, the Sadducee, and high priest at Jerusalem, was in office until 36 AD. So the events of Acts chapter 4, where Caiaphas is last mentioned, must have taken place earlier than that time. The stoning of Stephen is recorded at the end of Acts chapter 7, and the events described in chapter 9 may not have transpired for some time after that. Therefore, it is difficult to tell when Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, unless we count backwards, as we will see, from Paul's epistle to the Galatians, from his own statements. The next certain historical marker is found in Acts chapter 12, where the death of Herod Agrippa I is described, when he was eaten with worms. And from historical sources, we can, with much certainty, date that event to 44 AD. But there is another way to piece together an approximate chronology for the events of the first half of Acts more completely, from Paul's own statements in his epistle to the Galatians. From the evidence provided there, the events of Acts chapter 15 can be dated to at least 47 AD, and more likely to 48 AD, from Paul's words in Galatians, where in chapter 1, He said that after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to relate an account to Cephas, which is Simon Peter, and remained with him 15 days. And that must refer to Paul's first visit to Jerusalem, three years after his conversion and eventual acceptance by the Christians there as it is described in the later part of Acts chapter 9. So Paul was converted on the road to Damascus, and he didn't go to Jerusalem for three years, as it's described in Acts chapter 9 in a very concise manner. Then Paul wrote at the beginning of Galatians chapter 2 that 
after 14 years, I had again gone up to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. Unfortunately, Titus is never mentioned in the book of Acts, at least by that name. However, Barnabas accompanied Paul to Jerusalem only once, in Acts chapter 15. And later in that same chapter, it is recorded that Paul and Barnabas had split for good, each man going his own way. But whether the 14-year period of Galatians chapter 2 follows the three-year period of Galatians chapter 1, or whether they overlap the three years following the time of Paul's conversion, may be debated since the text is not explicit. Therefore, it may be argued whether the events of Acts chapter 15 transpired either 14 or 17 years after Paul's conversion in Acts chapter 9. Neither can we determine the amount of time that transpired between the first Pentecost and Paul's conversion with any certainty from the text of Acts or directly from Paul's epistles. We certainly cannot assume that they all took place the same year. But there is a way to reckon their duration from Paul's epistles. There is a way and we shall see it this evening. If the edict of Claudius expelling the Jews from Rome took place in 49 AD, as it is popularly dated, then the first events of Acts chapter 18, where Paul arrived in Corinth, must have followed that year and occurred in 50 AD. Therefore, imagining the 14 years of Galatians chapter 2, to follow Paul's conversion and overlap the three-year period he mentioned in chapter 1. There are 14 years between Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 16. That leaves three years for all of the events from Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 8. And at least two years for those of Acts chapters 16 and 17. This too is apparent in another way. Paul spent a year and a half in Corinth. And according to Acts chapter chapter 18, while Gallio was the proconsul, historically, Gallio's term can be dated to 51 to 52 AD by an inscription which was discovered in the early 20th century. Proconsuls were appointed for two years. Now, some of them were appointed to the same position in the same place more than once. Pilate did several successive terms in Judea before he was removed. However, very often a proconsul would only spend two years in one place, which was the term of one appointment, and he would leave. He would move on, which seems to be the case with Gallio in Corinth. And the inscription dates his term relevant to the reign of the Caesars, and I believe in this case of Claudius, or perhaps Nero, to 51 to 52 AD. Paul wrote the epistle to the Galatians after he left Corinth in 52 AD, or after 52 AD, 
as it records things which he had done when he returned to Antioch, which is mentioned in Acts chapter 18, verse 22. And he evidently returned to Antioch as soon as he departed from Corinth. During the course of his ministry, he apparently never had occasion to go to Antioch again. From the dating of Gallio as proconsul at Corinth, Paul having spent 18 months there after the Edict of Aquarius was issued in 49, we know that he could not of begun his ministry there before the beginning of 50 AD. And his extensive travels leading up to that time, detailed in Acts chapter 16, must have consumed at least two years before he arrived in Corinth. So if Paul arrived in Corinth in 50 AD, as Priscilla and Aquila were expelled from Rome in 49 and had already settled there, then the Council of Jerusalem describing Acts chapter 15, could not have been held any later than 48 AD, with all the traveling Paul had done between the Council of Jerusalem and the time that he had arrived in Corinth. Therefore, counting back from 48 AD, Adding the 14-year period Paul mentioned in Galatians chapter 3 to the three-year period he mentioned in Galatians chapter 1, 17 years is too long a period to count back to the resurrection. But if the 14 years and the three years mentioned in Galatians are concurrent, then counting inclusively, as was the custom, Paul's conversion must have taken place in 35 A.D., three years after the resurrection. But if the 14 years and the three years mentioned in Galatians are concurrent, Paul's conversion must have taken place in 35 A.D., and that would allow sufficient time for both the early events described in the first nine chapters of Acts and also for the later events described in Acts chapters 16 and 17, speaking of Paul's travels. So if Paul's travels in Acts chapters 16 and 17 had consumed only two years, then the council at Jerusalem could have occurred in 48 A.D., and Paul's conversion in 35 A.D. The 35 A.D. date seems quite reasonable. Either way, I cannot imagine being able to piece together a more accurate chronology of the events described in the book of Acts. Now, we can deduce that Paul traveled from Antioch by land across all of Anatolia as far as Ephesus, and that sojourn took at least one year from when he left Corinth. Then, having spent three years in Ephesus, as it is evident from the accounts in Acts chapter 20, in in Acts chapters 19 through 21, and the time of his arrest, that he most likely departed from Ephesus in 56 AD, shortly after Pentecost, as he planned and related in 1 Corinthians. From there, 
he traveled through Macedonia, and sojourning through Macedonia, he wintered in Nicopolis and visited Corinth for three months, or, or actually for one month, and we shall discuss that when we discuss the second epistle to the Corinthians in 57 AD. Leaving Corinth, he traveled again through Macedonia, I should say Macedonia, that's the way I'm spelling it for this presentation, the way it's spelled in mainstream academics. He traveled again through Macedonia to the Troad and embarked on a voyage to Jerusalem for the feast at which he was arrested, evidently in 57 AD. We shall offer details substantiating, (coughs) excuse me, all of these things as we proceed and discuss the times of the writing of the various, of each of, I should say, the various epistles. After two years, Paul was sent to Rome. But having been shipwrecked, he did not arrive there until 61 A.D. So if we were to list the dates which we have calculated in accord with the events which are described in both Paul's epistles and in the book of Acts, the first Christian Pentecost was in 32 A.D., Acts chapter 2. The conversion of Paul of Tarsus was in 35 A.D., Acts chapter 9. The visit of Paul of Tarsus to Jerusalem was in 38 AD, Acts chapter 9. The arrest and release of Peter and the execution of the younger James was in 44 AD, Acts chapter 12. The Council of Jerusalem was in 48 A.D. Acts chapter 15. Paul arrives in Corinth in 50 A.D. 51 does not hurt us. Acts chapter 18. Paul arrives in Antioch in 52 A.D. Acts chapter 18. Paul arrives in Galatia, walks through Anatolia to Ephesus in 52, or during 52 and 53 A.D., Acts chapter 18. The beginning of Paul's ministry in Ephesus is 53 A.D., Acts chapter 19. Paul wintered. He departed Ephesus, I should say, in 56 A.D., Acts chapter 19. Paul wintered in Nicopolis, of Epirus, north of Corinth, Acts chapter 19 and 20. The second ministry of Paul in Corinth was in 63. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm thinking ahead of myself. What was in 57 AD, Acts chapter 20. Paul was in the Troad with Timothy, Luke, and others in 57 AD, Acts chapter 20. Paul was arrested in Jerusalem at Pentecost in 57 AD, Acts chapter 21. 
Paul wrote the epistle to the Hebrews in 57 AD or shortly thereafter. In defense of his positions, the difference outlined in the words of James in Acts chapter 21, verses 18 and 22. Read the epistle to the Hebrews. Paul is defending himself against the words of James without mentioning James in which are apparent, the differences which he had with James, which are apparent in Acts chapter 21, verses 18 through 22. Paul sent to Rome. Paul was sent to Rome and wintered on Malta, 60 to 61 AD, Acts chapter 27. Paul arrived in Rome, where he lived for two years, from 61 AD, Acts chapter 28. Some of my older podcasts may have dates a year off from some of these. And as this is a complex subject, I have made some adjustments here, as this is my first attempt at a full review of the subject. Many, if not most, denominational scholars take it for granted that some of the postscripts in the 4th and 5th century and later manuscripts are correct. That, for example, Galatians was written from Rome, as it says in a late addition to the Codex Vaticanus and in the manuscripts of the majority text, or that Romans was written from Corinth, as we find in late additions to the Codices Vaticanus and Beze, or in Cancria, according to the manuscripts of the majority text. While some of the other manuscript subscripts are correct, these are certainly inaccurate. And it is also clear that they were added by later hands. Roman Catholics and Orthodox Greeks have been wrong for centuries in many areas of scriptural interpretation, and we should not follow their errors. It is always safe for students of theology to simply follow the established errors. They do it all the time. For example, at least most denominational scholars claim that Paul was more or less at home in Jerusalem and that he had three or four long missionary trips to various places from Damascus and Antioch and throughout Anatolia and Greece. Bibles often even feature maps of those excursions. But that entire scheme is a complete mischaracterization of his ministry. Rather, Paul lived only where he found it necessary to spread the gospel of Christ. He spent years in constant travel, and he usually returned to Jerusalem only for the required feasts. Because, as he had also taught in his epistles, that having been born under the law, it was necessary for him to keep the law according to the circumcision. While those who were born after the resurrection of Christ no longer needed to be circumcised or to follow the works of the law, which is a term that described the rituals of the law. So Paul probably returned to Jerusalem often, whenever it was possible for him to attend the feasts. And it is evident that many of those trips were not recorded. 
Now that we have a generally accurate chronology of the book of Acts, for which we shall provide more evidence as we proceed, we shall begin to discuss each of Paul's epistles. We have eight epistles which were written before Paul was arrested in 57 AD, of which the very first are the two epistles to the Thessalonians. The first epistle to the Thessalonians is the earliest of Paul's surviving epistles, and it was written in Corinth. Paul had stated in chapter 3 of the epistle, that wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone, and sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you, and to comfort you concerning your faith. Then, a little further on in that chapter, But now when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that you have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, as we also to see you. These statements are corroborated in the book of Acts, where we first read in chapter 17, And as the Judeans from Thessalonica learned that the word of Yahweh was also declared by Paul in Beroea, they came there also, stirring up and agitating the crowds. And then at once the brethren sent Paul away to go as far as to the sea. But both Silas and Timotheus remained there. But those conducting Paul led him unto Athens. And they went out taking an order to Silas and Timotheus that they should come to him quickly. We then read that Paul awaited them in Athens, but they did not arrive there. So we read in Acts chapter 18 that after these things, departing from Athens, he went into Corinth. And then after he met Priscilla and Aquila, we read in verse 5, And as both Silas and Timotheus came down from Macedonia, Paul was impelled by the word, affirming to the Judeans, Yahshua to be the Christ. Of course, Thessalonica was in Macedonia, and the apostles evidently traveled by land to return to Paul and Corinth. This verse is the final mention of Silas in the book of Acts, although writing later, In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul mentions his having preached among the Corinthians with both himself and Timothy. This brings us to the second epistle to the Thessalonians. The second epistle certainly seems to answer questions that the Thessalonians seem to have sent to Paul after he wrote the first epistle. So it must have followed the very first in a very sh- the first in a very short time, and it was also written from Corinth during Paul's long sojourn there. The reasons for this are circumstantial, but these circumstances are rather firm. Silas is Paul's constant companion in the events recorded by Luke in Acts chapters fifteen to eighteen, and he was together with Paul in Corinth. But he is never mentioned again by Luke or Paul after Acts chapter 18 verse 5. 
except in that one reference where Paul in Second Corinthians was thinking back to this very time. However, while Luke called him Silas, the name by which Paul called him is Silvanus. And Silvanus, or Silas, is mentioned in Paul's epistles where Paul later told the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that for the Son of Yahweh, Yahshua Christ, who among you has been proclaimed by us, by me and Silvanus and Timotheus, or Timothy, if you will, has not been yea, then nay. Rather, with him it has been yes. So Silvanus was well known to the Corinthians. But otherwise, by that name, Silvanus, he is mentioned elsewhere in the salutations found. He is only mentioned elsewhere in the salutations found in these two epistles to the Thessalonians, which were written from Corinth. So it is fully evident that this is this Silvanus, whom Luke calls Silas, who is preaching there alongside Paul and Timothy. The same Silas with Timothy was in Thessalonica before they both came to Paul and Corinth, and once they were with him, Paul wrote these epistles to the Thessalonians. A subscript. Now, Paul clearly has Silvanus, or Silas, and Timothy here with him as they return from Macedonia, from Thessalonica, and Paul writes these epistles to the Thessalonians from Corinth. It's very clear in the narrative of First Thessalonians and the book of Acts. A subscript in Second Thessalonians claims that it was written from Athens. So that means the first epistle to the Thessalonians also must have been written from Athens before Paul got to Corinth. And that subscript is found in the Codex Alexandrinus and as an addition to the Codex Vaticanus, a later amendment to the Codex Vaticanus, and in the majority text. Many modern Bibles repeat the claim. Yet the text of 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and chapter 17 and 18 of the book of Acts clearly refute the notion that Timothy and Silas were even with Paul in Athens. So how could medieval scribes be so wrong and so sloppy? And why do many modern Bible editors simply accept it? But it's true. It happens. First and second Thessalonians were written, but not in Athens. Silas and Timothy never came to Paul in Athens. Acts, the book of Acts says that explicitly at the very end of chapter 17. They came to Paul, as he said in First Thessalonians, but they came to Paul in Corinth, as he says in Thessalonians. Wow. And they just assumed that he wrote Second Thessalonians in Athens? Are you kidding me? And, and academics today read that subscript and they accept it and they repeat it? That's crazy. Since all of Paul's other epistles can also be dated with relative certainty, it is evident that they all follow these two epistles to the Thessalonians. 
Therefore, 1 Thessalonians is the earliest of Paul's surviving epistles, and 2 Thessalonians is the second earliest. After that, Silas is not heard from again, unless he is the same Silvanus who was mentioned in the first epistle of Peter, which was not written until many years later. It's not a subject here. I'm not going to explain that this evening. I'm sorry. The Apostle Mark was also still with Peter at that time when his first epistle was written. We learn in Acts chapter 15 that Silas was one of the chief men among the brethren from Antioch. And from the time of the Council of Acts chapter 15, he remained with Paul until they arrived in Corinth. The name Silvanus, or Silvanus in Latin, is a shortened form of the Greek version of the name. Silas, I'm sorry. Silas is a shortened form of the Greek version of the name. While Paul called him by the full form of his name, Silvanus in Greek, perhaps Luke, who was also from Antioch, calls him by the familiar form of the name, Silas, which seems to indicate that Luke was a friend of Silas from an early time, while Paul only knew him later and more formally. Now this brings us to discuss Paul's next epistle. The epistle to the Galatians. It's 51 AD and Paul is leaving Corinth after 18 months after Gallio saved him from the Jews. The epistle to the Galatians was written during Paul's stay in Antioch, which is described in Acts chapters, chapter 18, verses 22 and 23. We are going to establish that now. Where he also had his final meeting with Peter, as he described in Galatians chapter 2. It could not have been written before that time as we have seen that there would be no time for the 14-year period in Paul's conversion to the council from his, I'm sorry, I should say from Paul's conversion to his appearance at the council of Jerusalem. But Paul visited the Galatians soon after he left Antioch, which is described in that same passage. And his epistle reflects that same passage, meaning Acts chapter 18, verses 22 and 23. And his epistle reflects an anticipation to visit them in its fourth chapter. So Paul departed. He departed from his year and a half sojourn in Corinth. And stopped in Ephesus briefly. He was begged to stay, but promised to return as he wanted to go to Jerusalem for a feast. So he sailed to Antioch. He actually sailed to Jerusalem and then went to Antioch. Whereupon we read in Acts chapter 18 and from verse 22 and coming back into Caesarea because that was the port nearest to Jerusalem going up and greeting the assembly he went down into Antioch, or Antiochia in Greek. And spending some time, he departed, 
passing through successively the land of Galatia and Phrygia, confirming all of the students. Paul did stop in Jerusalem for the feast upon which he sought to be there. But Luke only described it where he wrote of Paul's going up and greeting the assembly. However, if Paul only wanted to go to Antioch, he would never have landed at Caesarea, which was far from Antioch. Caesarea was close, or closer on the coast, much closer to Jerusalem. So it made sense that where Luke wrote that Paul Paul's going up and greeting the assembly is a reference to Paul going to Jerusalem for the feast as he said that he wanted to go in his epistle to the Galatians. Then once he was in Antioch, it is evident that during his stay there, he wrote the epistle to the Galatians as we read in Galatians chapter 4. But it is right always to envy and good. And not only in my presence with you, my little children, whom I travail once more, until the anointed has taken shape, have taken shape among you, I have desired to be present with you even now, and to change my tone, because I am perplexed with you. Having exhorted them in that manner, some time later he traveled to Galatia on foot, after he departed Antioch where Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 that Peter had come to Antioch. Perhaps Peter joined Paul in Antioch soon after they both attended that feast. Peter did not go to Antioch in Acts chapter 15, but rather Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem. So Peter must have come to Paul in Antioch as he sojourned there in Acts chapter 18 and also wrote this epistle to the Galatians. As a digression, and as Paul was writing it, he said Peter had come to Antioch. As a digression, many of the denominational so-called scholars also contend that Paul's epistle was addressed not to Galatahi, but to the Greeks inhabiting the cities in the south of the Roman province called Galatia. But that is not true. In fact, that is ridiculous. The name Galatia, at the time of Paul's ministry, referred to either one of two things. Either to the kingdom of the Galatahi, which was established in Anatolia in the 3rd century B.C. That would be a Greek perspective, a Hellenistic perspective. Or it could refer to the Roman province of Galatia. And of course, that would be the Roman perspective. But we're not dealing with Romans, we're dealing with Hellenistic Judeans, Hellenized Judeans. Judeans that were educated Paul of Tarsus, Tarsus was a great center of learning for the Greeks. In fact, Strabo describes it as the third greatest center of learning in in the empire, after Athens and Alexandria. And Paul was educated. He had that Hellenistic education. He quoted the classics all the time. That province, so named Galatia, 
by the Romans, had incorporated the ancient kingdoms of Lycaonia, Phrygia, and Galatia into a single province. So because they considered the term Galatia, because the mainstream academics considered the term Galatia to refer only to the Roman province, there had been debates disputing whether Paul had written to the northern Galatians of the province, which refers to the somewhat Hellenized Galatahi of the ancient kingdom, or to the southern Galatians of the province, which included the numerous Greeks and Hellenized Lycaonians of the larger cities, Derbe, Lystra, but they do not even seem to realize that Luke did not use the term Galatia in reference to the Roman province wherever he described Paul's travels. Rather, he only employed the term as it was originally used in reference to the ancient Celtic kingdom. And I call it Celtic because it is proper to call the Galatahi or classify the Galatahi as Celts. And that was only the northern part of the Roman province. So in his accounts, in Acts, in chapters 13 through 16, Luke specifically mentions the cities in the south, Derbe, Lystra, and Iconium, several times each. And many commentators imagine that it was the Christians in these cities who were the recipients of Paul's epistle to the Galatians. Because these cities were all in the southern portion of the Roman province of Galatia. But Derbe, Lystra or Lustra and Iconium were cities of the ancient kingdom of Lycaonia which the Romans had later incorporated into their province of Galatia. And in Acts chapter 14, verse 6, Lystra and Derbe are called cities of Lycaonia. And then in Acts chapter 14, verse 11, we see a reference to the speech of Lycaonia. And the ancient Lycaonians were properly neither Greeks nor Galatians, although they had been Hellenized to a great degree. Then later, in Acts chapter 16, verse 6, Luke mentioned Phrygia and the region of Galatia as being separate places. And the ancient kingdom of Phrygia, like Lycaonia, had also been incorporated into the Roman province of Galatia. Then in Acts 18, verse 23, Luke once again describes Paul as having traveled through the country of Galatia and Phrygia where he had strengthened all the disciples. So we see that in Luke's writing, Phrygia and Galatia are clearly distinguished from one another and also from the cities of Derbe, Iconium, and Lystra mentioned in verses 1 and 2 of Acts chapter 16, which were in Lycaonia. Therefore, we can be relatively certain that Paul wrote the epistle to the Galatians to the people of the Galatahi in Galatia. So when he visited them, Luke wrote in Acts chapter 18, verse 23, that he went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. 
that must have referred to the kingdom of the Galatahi, distinct from ancient Phrygia and the cities of Lycaonia. If Luke was referring to Galatia as the province of Galatia, the Roman province, he would never have even mentioned Phrygia or Lycaonia in context with Galatia because they're all part of the Roman province. Luke distinguished them. So when he mentioned Galatians, he was talking about the ancient kingdom in the north, not the Greeks in the south, no. And all the mainstream academics, they're all clowns. They're all clowns. They don't understand the Bible in order to define the terms of the Bible. That They read his, Roman history and try to understand the, the Hellenistic Judean scriptures through Roman history, and you can't. You can only understand them in concert with Roman history and let Paul and Luke define their own terms. So the epistle to the Galatians was written from Antioch in 52, or perhaps very early 53 A.D., before Paul. However long he stayed in Antioch, we are not told. But he walked back to Ephesus, and it's a long walk. Antioch being at the edge of Anatolia in Syria, at the eastern edge, and Ephesus being at the western extremity of Anatolia, closer to Greece, to the coast, to the Aegean Sea. The epistle which we know as 1 Corinthians was written from Ephesus towards the end of the three-year period that Paul had stayed in Ephesus, which is described in Acts chapter 19. This we read in chapter 16, where Paul first planned to visit them and had anticipated staying with them for some time when he did visit, as he evidently had not been there since he departed in 52 A.D. So Paul wrote, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, For I do not presently desire to see you in passing, since I expect to remain with you some time, if perhaps the prince permits. Now I will remain in Ephesus until the Pentecost. Indeed, a great and productive opportunity has been opened to me. And many are in opposition. Then later, in the same chapter, we see that he was in Ephesus, which was the capital city of the Roman province of Asia, as well as the home of Priscilla and Aquila, who had apparently moved there from Corinth a few years earlier, where he wrote, The assemblies of Asia greet you. Aquilus and Prisca, or Aquila and Priscilla in our King James New Testament, greet you greatly in the prince, with the assembly at their house. Paul first met Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth when he arrived there in 50 AD, Acts chapter 18, verse 1, Acts chapter 18, verse 18, and then again after he went to Antioch and Galatia and first arrived in Ephesus, Acts chapter 18, verse 26. So from this first surviving epistle, which he had sent to the Corinthians from Ephesus, Paul's departure from Ephesus seems to have been 
imminent, where he wrote, I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 8. So it seems like Pentecost is only months away. Since Paul departed Corinth in 52 AD, then with the time he spent in Antioch, and the intervening travels arriving in Ephesus in 53 AD, having spent three years there, he most certainly seems to have written this epistle in the early part of 56 AD, but at a time which was late enough for him to have been thinking about Pentecost. We know that he was in Ephesus for three years. From Acts chapter 20, where Paul, having departed from the Troad, and stopping in Miletus, had sent for the elders of the Ephesians. When they came, he told them that he would never see them again. And in a solemn and foreboding farewell, he said in part, Therefore watch and remember that by the space of three years I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So Paul was with them for three years. The next two of the surviving epistles of Paul had been written shortly after he had departed from Ephesus, which seems to have been after that Pentecost of 56 AD that he mentioned in 1 Corinthians. But his departure may have been a little sooner on account of the uproar that had been caused by the silversmiths, which is described in Acts chapter 19. The first of these two epistles was sent to Titus, and then a short time later, the second to Timothy. And Paul asked Titus, but not Timothy, to meet him in Nicopolis for the coming winter, the winter of 56 and 57 AD. Later, discussing 2 Corinthians, we shall see that both men had spent the winter with him there. So Paul leaves Ephesus sometime around, or perhaps a little sooner than he expected, perhaps a little before, because of the uproar of the silversmiths, we lose track of exactly when he left, around that Pentecost of 56 AD. And he went to the Troad, and he expected to find Titus, but Titus wasn't there. And from there he sailed, because it's across the water, you can't walk unless you walk around the Black Sea, right? You sail to Macedonia, to one of the ports, perhaps Philippi, which is more easterly, perhaps Thessalonica, and you walk to where you need to go, and and Paul did that during the year of 56 AD, and got to Nicopolis from... In, in the winter, for the winter, to spend the winter there in 56-57, which would be mostly from the end of December, or the Roman feast of Saturnalia, which started on December 20-something. I don't know the exact date. The Romans didn't use our type of dates. And winter would last until the end of February by Roman custom. It was difficult to travel. It did get kind of cold, especially at night. It was hard to travel, and people typically bedded down somewhere for the winter, whenever they traveled. So, for those two months, 
on his way from Ephesus through the Troad and through Macedonia and ultimately to Nicopolis, Paul first wrote the epistle to Titus and then he wrote the first epistle to Timothy. And I'm probably getting ahead of myself, but I wanted to summarize that for people who are eagerly listening, if anybody is eagerly listening. But I don't think this is as boring as it sounds. I hope not. So first, there is some necessary historical background on Titus, where we must also include a brief discussion of Paul's travels in relation to the epistles which he had written to the Corinthians and the Galatians, as Titus is mentioned in both of them. In our commentary on the epistle to Titus, we discussed the possibility that Paul had met him in Corinth in 50 AD, and that Titus was, from that time, his companion until Paul left him in Crete, which he mentions in this epistle. But Titus is not mentioned in the book of Acts by that name, for which reason we believe that he was the man identified by Luke as Justice. And some of the older manuscripts have the name Titius Justice at Acts chapter 18, verse 7. So Titus had a house in Corinth, Titus, or Titius, had a house in Corinth, Titius Justice, I should say, because it's only justice that appears, that appears in the King James Version. He had a house in Corinth when Paul met him there. And he must have departed with Paul, since the only opportunity Paul had to leave Titus in Crete would have been as he sailed from Greece to go to Jerusalem through Caesarea in Acts chapter 18, as we have already discussed here. But there is a caveat. Paul must have known Titus even earlier. That is because where Titus is described as having accompanied Paul and Barnabas in Antioch and Jerusalem, it must have been the events of Acts chapter 15 to which Paul was referring, where he spoke of the presence of Titus in Galatians chapter 2. Now, considering our chronology once again, there is another way to determine the time when Paul had departed from Ephesus, which may be reckoned by counting backwards from the time of his detention in Caesarea, which is given by Luke in the final chapters of the book of Acts, that is, by comparing the times of the terms of office of the Roman procurators, Festus and Felix, which are known from historical sources. The primary witness for this in Luke's writing is in Acts chapter 24, where Luke wrote from verse 27, that upon the completion of two years, meaning Paul was in prison for two years, Porcius Festus received the succession from Felix, and desiring to bestow a favor upon the Judeans, because Felix had the right to release him as the new proconsul, but he didn't because he wanted to favor the Jews, Felix left Paul bound. Or or Felix had the right to release Paul before he left office, I should say. And Porcius Festus also had a right to release him, but he didn't. Many historians debate whether it was 58 AD or 59 AD, but the one-year difference is close enough for us. 
While it is difficult to be absolutely certain, because all our dates here might be off by one year, for various historical reasons we are confident that the year was 59. And from there, we can count back through the book of Acts to this point in 56 AD. Then from our other evidence, that is also the year in which we believe this epistle to Titus was written, in the summer of 56 AD, or perhaps a little earlier that year, if Paul had to leave Ephesus before the Pentecost, which he had planned on spending there. The accounts in the book of Acts do not help us much during the period immediately after Paul had left Ephesus. From Paul's epistles, we can determine that he left Ephesus, traveled through the Troad to Macedonia, and wintered in Nicopolis of Epirus, where Timothy and Titus had joined him. And then they all went to Corinth, where Paul spent three months before returning with them and others to the Troad. They didn't all go to Corinth together. Paul had actually sent Titus ahead to Corinth with the second epistle to the Corinthians. We will see that shortly. But during all of this time, Luke was in Philippi. So we read in the opening verses of Acts chapter 20. And after the cessation of the tumult in Ephesus... Paul sending after and encouraging these students, saluting them, departed to go into Macedonia. And passing through those parts and encouraging them with many words, he went into Greece. Now, Epirus is in Greece. And spending three months, Corinth is also in in Greece, and spending three months, there being a plot against him by the Judeans. Being about to set sail for Syria, because he wanted to go to Jerusalem for the feast, he became knowledgeable, for which to return through Macedonia. And there followed along with him, Sopatris, he's called Sosipatris in the epistle to the Romans, Sopatris of Purus Baroia, and the Thessalonians, or Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus. Aristarchus is later imprisoned with Paul. We will hear more about Aristarchus in the second part of this series. And Gaius of Derbe. And Timotheus. And the Asians, meaning they were from Ephesus. Tuchicus and Trophimus. And these going ahead waited for us in the Troad. So these people had all left Corinth with Paul, and they traveled as far as the Troad, through Macedonia, because as Acts chapter 19 states, it was too dangerous for Paul to go to the port and sail, because the Judeans wanted to kill him. And these going ahead waited for us in the Troad, but we sailed out from Philippus, or Philippi. After the days of unleavened bread, so now we just dated this to immediately after the Passover in 56 AD. I'm sorry, 57 AD. And we came to them in the Troad after five days, where we spent seven days. 
While Luke was very concise, much more can be gleaned from Paul's epistles. Later, when we discuss the epistle to the Hebrews, we shall see that both Aristarchus and Timothy, who are with Paul here, as he travels from Corinth to the Troad, were also arrested with him in Jerusalem a short time later. If others were also arrested with him, we may never know. Luke only followed Paul. But we know, and we will explain when we see uh, the epistle to the Hebrews, we know that Aristarchus and Timothy were both arrested with Paul. So this epistle to Titus was written only because Paul failed to find Titus in the Troad, where he expected Titus to meet him after his departure from Ephesus. It seems that since Paul had been planning to go to Corinth, that he purposely wanted to bring Titus there with him, as Titus was with him and living in Corinth when Paul arrived there six years earlier. Titus was the Titius Justice, who had the, or Eustace in Greek, who had the house next to the synagogue in Corinth. So in the closing verses of chapter 3 of the epistle to Titus, we read, And when I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, so these men are with Paul as in the Troad as he's writing this epistle, but he doesn't know which one of them he's going to send to bring the epistle to Titus. Titus was supposed to be in the Troad and he's not. Paul discovered that he was still in Crete, and we will discuss that. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, you must make haste to come to me in Nicopolis, for there I have decided to winter. But in Second Corinthians, which we have already cited, Titus, we read that Titus had caught up to Paul in Macedonia before Paul could get to Nicopolis. Evidently, Titus was delayed in meeting Paul in the Troad because he faced problems with the assembly in Crete. So in chapter 1 of Titus, we see that Paul must have learned that. And he wrote, and, and perhaps Titus wrote Paul in the Troad. So in chapter 1 of Titus, Paul wrote, For this reason I have left you in Crete, that you would set in order the things which are wanting and establish elders by city, as I have instructed you. Then, a few verses later, he said, in the same chapter, For there are many insubordinates, vain talkers, and deceivers of minds, especially those from among the circumcision, whom it is necessary to muzzle, who upset entire houses teaching things which are not necessary, for reason of shameful profit. One of them, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slothful gluttons. Our assertion that Paul left Titus in Crete as he traveled to Jerusalem and Antioch by sea in 52 AD is supported here as Titus is found in Crete at this time four years later. But whether Titus remained in Crete for all of that time cannot be determined, and it is possible that he also ministered in other places in the interim. Before Paul had left Ephesus for the Troad, he planned on wintering in Corinth. This we read 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Then being engaged with you, I will remain, or I will even winter, that you may escort me to wherever I may may traverse. As a digression, when Paul left Corinth, as it is described in Acts chapter 20 in verse 4, None of the Corinthians who may have given him escort had remained with him when he arrived in the Troad. So after leaving Ephesus, somewhere along the way, and before he wrote Titus, after having arrived in the Troad, he decided to winter in Nicopolis instead of Corinth. For this reason, Paul, I'm sorry, for this, Paul had given his reasons in 2 Corinthians chapters 1 and 2. And we do not have the benefit of seeing the letter which Paul must have received from the Corinthians in answer to 1 Corinthians, which was written shortly before time, which had caused him to make this change in his plans. So Paul leaves Ephesus planning to go planning to have Titus come to him and to go with Titus to Corinth. And when Paul leaves Ephesus and arrives in the Troad, first, he doesn't find Titus there, but he writes him in Crete, so he must have learned that he was still in Crete. And that's in this epistle to Titus. But then he must have also received a letter from the Corinthians in answer to 1 Corinthians, which troubled him. So he changed his plans. So it is also evident that when he arrived in the Troad, Paul found a letter awaiting him from Corinth, or a messenger with that letter, which was a response to the epistle that we know as 1 Corinthians. That is how Paul knew that he would winter in the Coplis before writing Titus, And Paul did not answer that letter until he arrived in Nicopolis. So when he wrote this epistle to Titus, he told him that he was going to winter in Nicopolis, even though he had told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians that he was going to, that perhaps he would winter with them. The delay in answering the Corinthians was Assuredly calculated. He must have delayed on purpose until he arrived in Nicopolis of Epirus. However, it is not entirely certain whether Paul had written Titus from the Troad or as soon as he had reached Macedonia. It's my guess that he wrote Titus from the Troad, but I can't say that. He may have waited until he reached Macedonia. Furthermore, Titus did not accompany Paul in the summer of 57 when he departed from Corinth and went to Macedonia one last time before he returned to the Troab and on to Jerusalem. This is evident because he is not mentioned again in Acts or in any of Paul's later epistles with the exception of 2 Timothy, which was written from Rome around 61 AD, where it is said that he went to Dalmatia. So from that, it is apparent that later on, perhaps Titus did visit with Paul in Rome, as he was speaking of those who had left him in Rome. 
So aside from this epistle to Titus, and the mention of Titus as being with Paul in 2 Corinthians, that mention in 2 Timothy is the last that we ever know of him from scripture or history. As another digression, many commentators claim that Paul wintered in Nicopolis in Macedonia, but it doesn't even exist. Others do, however, correctly identify this Nicopolis as the city in Epirus. There was another city named Nicopolis in Thrace, which was close to the eastern border of Macedonia. But it was not in Macedonia. But Paul, intent on wintering in Nicopolis and going to Corinth after winter, so he would not go in the opposite direction, eastward to Thrace, in order to achieve that, must have stayed in Nicopolis in Epirus. Paul stayed the winter of 56-57 AD in Nicopolis in Epirus. Going through Macedonia, Paul most likely sailed to either Philippi or to Thessalonica. Thessalonica is a port in a recessed bay on the eastern side of Greece at the northwesternmost point of the Aegean Sea. Philippi is further east, on the central north shore of the Aegean. The distance by highway today from Philippi to Epirus, and passing through Thessalonica, is nearly 422 kilometers, or just over 260 miles. Roman winter generally began at the end of February, so Paul, having left Ephesus by Pentecost, would have sufficient time to travel that far to Nicopolis, which is 313 kilometers, or about 195 miles from Corinth. But before he reached Nicopolis, he also wrote what we now have as the first epistle to Timothy. So Titus was written, I believe in a Troad, but perhaps in Macedonia, as Paul arrived at Macedonia, and Paul found that he was in Crete and wrote him in Crete, and it is the summer of 56 AD. And he asks Titus to meet him in Nicopolis in time for winter. Now in Macedonia, he writes the first epistle to Timothy before he arrives in Nicopolis. And we will see that there is plenty of time for Timothy to receive the epistle and travel from Ephesus to Nicopolis, which is a pretty lengthy trip, before winter begins. So these two epistles were certainly written while it was still summer. We have already laid the groundwork for understanding when this epistle was written, where we had discussed the two which had immediately preceded it, 1 Corinthians and Titus. So all there is left to show, it is to show the evidence from 1 Timothy that puts the writing of this epistle into that same context. As we have said, Titus caught up to Paul in Macedonia after Paul left the Troad in 56 AD. In the meantime, Paul must have also written his first epistle to Timothy during the same journey, either upon arriving in the Troad, where he also must have written to Titus, or, more likely, 
as he passed through Macedonia shortly thereafter. So, in the opening verses of First Timothy, Paul states that, just as I, traveling into Macedonia, had summoned you to remain in Ephesus, meaning as Paul planned to go to Macedonia, he told Timothy to remain in Ephesus, that you should command some not to teach errors. Then when Paul wrote Second Corinthians from Nicopolis the following winter, Timothy is there with both Paul and Titus. But Paul must not have planned this and only expected Titus to join him, telling Timothy to stay in Ephesus. This is evident in 1 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 13, where Paul wrote, Until I come, you attend to the reading, the exhortation, the teaching, meaning that Paul expected to visit Timothy in Ephesus before seeing him again, where he indicates that he should return to Ephesus and that Timothy should continue teaching there until his arrival. So for some unknown reason, Timothy departed from Ephesus contrary to Paul's instructions in this epistle and met with Paul in Nicopolis in time for winter. However, from what letters we now have available, Paul never asked Timothy to join him, like he had specifically asked Titus. Later, where Paul wrote an epistle to the Ephesians from Rome, Timothy was not yet with him. He is not addressed or mentioned in that letter. So it is evident that he did not return to Ephesus, and we are never given a reason at least in the epistles which survive. Remember the Ephesians left their first love in the Revelation, and all of this might be related to that. It's conjecture, but it's awfully compelling conjecture. We can only imagine that because Timothy was never criticized by Paul for leaving Ephesus, and because he was later associated by Paul with his ministry, that he must have been compelled to leave Ephesus for some reason, rather than merely having abandoned his assignment there. In any event, in this epistle, Paul asked him to remain in Ephesus, and he did not. In just a few months, when 2 Corinthians is written, Timothy appears with Paul in Nicopolis, and in that letter we may find our answer, although it is not explicit. As Paul departs from Nicopolis and sojourns in Corinth, and then travels back through Macedonia to the Troad and on to Jerusalem, Timothy remains with him until they are arrested in the temple. This brings us to discuss 2 Corinthians the second epistle to the Corinthians, which is really the third epistle to the Corinthians. But that's another story that we will discuss at the end of these presentations. During these final ten years of Paul's ministry, Titus seems to have been a significant figure. I'm counting from when Paul arrived in Corinth in 50, or perhaps in 51 AD. And when he went to Rome in 61 AD. 
But Titus was not as important to Paul as was Timothy. While both men were with Paul when the second epistle to the Corinthians was written, the epistle in its opening salutation declares itself to be from Paul, ambassador of Yahshua Christ by the will of Yahweh, and Timotheus, the brother, to the assembly of Yahweh which is in Corinth, with all of the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, Achaia being that district of Greece where Corinth was situated, favor and peace to you from Yahweh our Father and Prince Yahshua Christ. So Timothy was honored as a co-author of the epistle, whereas Titus was only chosen to deliver the epistle to the Corinthians ahead of Paul's planned arrival there in the spring. But the only real difference between the men appears to be that this seems to be the way in which Paul had designated Timothy as the heir apparent to his ministry. And by no means does it diminish the value of Titus or the others of Paul's companions. In fact, in chapter 10 of Second Corinthians, Paul wrote, Whether concerning Titus, my partner and a colleague to you, or our brethren, to be ambassadors of the assemblies is an honor of the anointed. To be apostles of the assemblies is an honor of the anointed, the people of the body of Christ. So Titus was honored, but he wasn't distinguished with Paul as a partner in his ministry. Only Timothy received that honor. In all of Paul's epistles where Timothy was with him, Paul wrote the epistle from Paul and Timothy. Where in all the other epistles, where many other apostles were with him and often wrote the epistles for him, they still weren't honored in the salutation as being partners in his ministry as the epistle is never illustrated as having come from more than just Paul, except for Timothy. And and that's in several of Paul's epistles where Timothy is with him. But it's never true of Luke. Even Luke, who, who was Paul's companion for a long time, even Barnabas in... in well, Barnabas had probably already split ways with Paul before he wrote his first surviving epistle. But my point is that no other apostles, no matter how important or notable they were, except Timothy, were given that honor by Paul. Furthermore, when it is understood that Titus is the tedious justice of the manuscripts, in Acts chapter 17, who was with Paul earlier in Corinth, but who must have been there sooner and for even longer than Paul was, that explains why Paul chose, and I'm sorry, I should have said Acts chapter 18. It's chapter 18, verse 7. That explains why Paul chose Titus to deliver this epistle, this second epistle to the Corinthians, 
and why Paul chose to extol Titus to the Corinthians in the text of that epistle where he is mentioned eight times. So this also helps to substantiate our association of Titus with that Titius Eustace of Acts chapter 18 verse 7. Titius Justice or just justice in the King James Version. So the second epistle to the Corinthians was written as Paul journeyed from Macedonia to visit Achaia for the last time while wintering in Nicopolis in Epirus nearly 200 miles to the north. And before he reached Corinth for his final visit, there sometime in the spring of 57 AD. The reasons for Paul's changing his mind from when he wrote the first epistle to the Corinthians and delaying his visit to them until after winter are explained by Paul here in the first two chapters of the second epistle. In the meantime, Titus and Timothy had each joined him in the Copolis after receiving the epistles which he had written to them. And that is reflected in 2 Corinthians. We are certain that Paul delayed going to Corinth before winter because he must have received a troubling letter of which this epistle was written in answer. Some of the troubles that annoyed or irritated Paul are evident in chapter, are also evident, I should say, because they're evident in the opening chapters, but they're also evident in chapter 12 of the epistle. And that is where we also learned that Titus had delivered this epistle to Corinth on Paul's behalf sometime before Paul himself arrived in Corinth. There we read, Behold, readily, this third time I engage to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you, for I do not seek your things, but you. The children are not obliged to store up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Now I will most gladly spend and be wholly expended on behalf of your souls. Even if loving you more abundantly, I am loved less. But it is that I have not imposed on you. Otherwise, being villainous, I have taken you with guile. Of those several whom I had sent to you, through them have I defrauded you? I have summoned Titus, referring to the epistle which was brought by Titus, and, and referring to the, the letter that Paul wrote summoning Titus from Crete, right? That's where he summoned Titus from Crete. And have sent with him the brother, an unnamed companion, who was evidently also with Paul, has Titus defrauded you? Have we not walked in the same spirit, nor with the same steps? In Second Corinthians chapter 1, it is apparent that this epistle was written soon after Paul had left Ephesus, where he wrote of the affliction that he had suffered in Asia, which must refer to the events in Ephesus which are recorded in Acts chapter 19. There we read in part, for we do not wish you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning our affliction which happened in Asia, because we were exceedingly oppressed, beyond ability, consequently for us to despair even of living. Yet we had within ourselves that sentence of death in order that we would not rely upon ourselves, but upon Yahweh who raises the dead. 
who from so great a death has protected us and will protect, in whom we trust because also he will still protect. You also cooperating on our behalf in prayers in order that from many persons the gift to us would be thanksgiving by many on our behalf. Ephesus was the capital city of Roman Asia. Paul must have been referring to the trouble with the silversmiths that he had suffered earlier that same year. So my point is that the entire context of this epistle proves that we are correct about where and when it was written. Exactly when it was written. There in that chapter... Paul had also discussed his initial travel plans, where he had hoped first to go to Corinth, and then to Macedonia, and then on to Judea from Macedonia, and through Corinth once again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, in verses 15 and 16, plans which were later altered. But at the end of that chapter, Paul explained why he had changed his plans, where he wrote, Now I appeal to Yahweh as a witness upon my soul that sparing you, I had not yet come to Corinth. Saying that, as Paul continued in chapter 2, it becomes apparent that Paul's first epistle had troubled the Corinthians, where he spoke of the divisions among them and of the fornicator, which had troubled the assembly. The context of the balance of 2 Corinthians which is readily evident, especially from chapter 8 and onward, also shows that Paul had recently been in Macedonia and was planning on coming to Corinth. So there we see that the pattern of his narrative is the same as what is only described very concisely by Luke in Acts chapter 20. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul discussed the collection for the poor in Jerusalem, how diligent the Macedonians had been in their charity, and how he anticipated that the Corinthians would do the same. He looked forward to seeing them throughout the epistle. Therefore, it is absolutely certain that Paul must have written his epistle, now known as 2 Corinthians, as he was traveling from Macedonia through Greece and before he reached Corinth. It is also certain that both Timothy and Titus are with him as he writes, since he includes Timothy in the salutation, and in chapter 12, he mentions having sent Titus, as Titus delivered the epistle, and he must have delivered it from Nicopolis in Epirus. That's seven of Paul's traveling epistles. There is one epistle remaining to discuss here of the eight epistles which Paul had written before he was imprisoned. That is the epistle to the Romans. Having given the circumstances of Paul's visit to Corinth and his having traveled back to the Troad through Macedonia, much thought, I realized that I must further clarify the chronology of these events even beyond what I had done in my commentaries on Paul through 2017. That is because while I attempted to prove that Paul stayed the winter of 56-57 in Nicopolis in Epirus, rather than in Nicopolis in Thrace, an argument I formulated concerning the calendar proves that not only could Paul not have stayed in Thrace, 
but also that if he remained for three months in Greece, as Luke wrote in Acts chapter 20, then he could only have spent one month, one of those months, in Corinth. That is the only way that he could have had enough time to travel back to the Troad on land through Macedonia, yet still could have arrived in Greece, I'm sorry, in Jerusalem, for the Pentecost, which he sought to attend in 57 AD. And this is evident where Paul wintered in Nicopolis, Nicopolis being in Epirus in Greece. And winter typically ended at the beginning of March. Then he spent perhaps one month in Corinth. Now, it is possible, and this is a digression, that winter ended sooner. There was no official winter on on a Roman calendar where you could not travel. If it warmed so that Paul could travel, sooner than the end of February, then possibly Paul went to Corinth a little sooner. So if it warmed two weeks before the end of February, and here in Florida, sometimes spring begins in the middle of February, depending on whether or not we get a bad rainy season. So it's very possible that in Greece... Spring began earlier that particular year, and Paul had less time than two months in Nicopolis, and more time than one month in Corinth. So, I'm not trying to split hairs like that. I'm only trying to make an approximate chronology. And, of course, the reality could be a little different by year in some places, but this chronology will stand the test of time. If the winter lasted two months, in that manner... Paul would have left Corinth at the end of March and still, I'm I'm sorry, if he spent one month in Corinth and two months in Nicopolis because Luke said he spent three months in Greece, then Paul would have left Corinth at the end of March and have had almost two months before the time of Pentecost near the end of May. Again, we read in Acts chapter 20, where Paul left Ephesus for Macedonia, and Luke wrote, and passing through those parts and encouraging them with many words, he went into Greece. And spending three months, which had to include the wintering in Nicopolis and the time in Corinth, there being a plot against him by the Judeans, being about to set sail for Syria, he became knowledgeable for which to return through Macedonia. Traveling on land through Macedonia to Thessalonica, which is the most likely port by which to sail to the Troad, because you had to sail to the Troad, it is 572 kilometers, or 355 miles. Paul could make that trip by carriage in about a week. It seems that Paul did not go to Philippi to sail to the Troad, which is which was 730 kilometers, or over 450 miles. 
If he had, then perhaps in Acts chapter 20, the narrative would have been different, as Luke was in Philippi at the time. But then again, perhaps he did. And that is what Luke meant where he wrote, And these going ahead, speaking of Paul's party, waited for us in the Troad. As if Paul and his companions arrived in Philippi, but they went to the Troad without waiting for Luke and his own company to be ready to travel. In any event, where Paul traveled to the Troad through Macedonia, we read further on in Acts chapter 20. And there followed along with him Sopatris of Purius Beroia, and the Thessalonians, or Thessalonians in Greek, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timotheus, and the Asians. Ephesus was the capital of Roman Asia, which was only the southwestern portion of Anatolia. The Troad was above it in the northwestern portion. And the Asians, Tukikos and Trophimus, and they were evidently Ephesians. And these, going ahead, waited for us in the Troad. But we sailed out from Philippus, or Philippi, after the days of unleavened bread. And we came to them in the Troad after five days, where we spent seven days. So if Paul spent a total of three months in Greece, that must have included winter, and he spent 12 days, including the Passover, in the Troad that same year. So he still had about six weeks to get to Jerusalem for the Pentecost. There we shall establish that the epistle to the Romans was written at this very time, during the seven days where Luke and his company had joined Paul in the Troad. And until Paul is executed in Rome, ostensibly in 63 AD, Luke never leaves his side. The fact that the epistle to the Romans was written from the Troad at this time, during Paul's stay there, which is recorded at the beginning of Acts chapter 20, is evident from both the lists of men who were here with Paul, provided in Acts chapter 20 and in Luke chap, and in, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 16, and also from Paul's comments concerning his ministry and his plans to visit Rome, which were made in Romans chapter 15. So first we shall read that passage from chapter 15. On which account I also had often been hindered in coming to you. But now, no longer having a place in these regions, and having a longing to come to you for many years, perhaps as I journey into Spain, therefore I expect to be passing across to see you, and by you to be escorted there. If, however, some of you first, I am somewhat, if, however, of you first, I am somewhat satisfied. But now I travel to Jerusalem in service to the saints. They of Macedonia and Achaia, Corinth and its surroundings, had been glad to make a certain contribution for the needy of the saints who were in Jerusalem. Indeed, they were well pleased, and their debtors they are. For if the nations share with them in the things of the Spirit, then they are obliged to minister to them in the things of the flesh. 
Now this being accomplished, and this prophet having been assured to them, I will depart by you towards Spain. Where Paul said, in these regions, he must have been in Anatolia. He couldn't have been in Greece because he lost his place in Ephesus, ostensibly, where he spent three years earlier that same year, in 50, I'm sorry, one year sooner, in 56 A.D. Now it's 57 A.D. Paul's in the Troad. He hadn't had a place in Corinth since he left there in 52 A.D. And he didn't have a place in Corinth when he spent three months in the winter. He he probably had to rent a place or stay with Christian brethren whom he knew, but it wasn't his own place. So he said that he had no longer had a place in these regions and he must be in Anatolia. He must be in the Troad. That's my opinion. It might seem conjectural, but it is the circumstance. Here we see that Paul had wanted to go to Jerusalem to deliver the collection for the oppressed Christians there, which had, which he had just mentioned as collecting in his two epistles to the Corinthians. In the Troad, he had that collection with him as he intended to bring it to Jerusalem for Pentecost. So in that same place, in Romans 15, Paul explains that he is on his way to Judea. In verse 30, Moreover, I entreat you, brethren, through our prince, Yahshua Christ, and through the love of the Spirit, to assist me in prayers to Yahweh on my behalf, in order that I am delivered from those of disobedience in Judea, and that my service that is to Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. That service is the money that he had collected to help the people in Jerusalem, James and the other apostles, the money he collected from Macedonia and Achaia, or Corinth. That with joy I am coming to you through the will of Yahweh, that I may have rest with you. Later, in the account of his defense before Felix, which is reported in the book of Acts in chapter 24, Paul is recorded as having said that now, after many years, I came to bring alms to my nation and offerings. It is clear that the alms and offerings of Acts 24.17 are the same as the service to the saints which Paul was about to deliver to Jerusalem, which he mentioned in Romans 15.31. This clearly establishes that Paul was about to bring to Jerusalem that collection for the saints of Judea described in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 an epistle which is written about a year earlier than Romans was written. And therefore, Romans was written as Paul was about to go to Judea. And I should say that that epistle was written about four months earlier, perhaps, or three months earlier than Romans was written. So therefore, (coughs) Romans was written as Paul was about to go to Judea. Therefore, the fact that this epistle was written at this time is practically indisputable as Paul just departed from Corinth with their share of the gift in hand. The consensus among denominational theologians is that Paul was, is that Romans was written while Paul was still in Corinth, but that is not possible. 
It is actually refuted once again in Acts chapter 20, as most of the men mentioned as being with Paul in the epistle were not with him until he left Corinth, and they all gathered in the Troad. So we read in Romans chapter 16 the following closing salutation. Now Yahweh of peace will crush the adversary under your feet quickly. The favor of our Prince Yahshua Christ is with you. Timotheus, my colleague, and Lucius, and Jason, and Sosipatris, my kinsmen, greet you. I, Tertius, who wrote out the letter, greet you in the prince. Gaius greets you, my host and that of the whole assembly. Erastus, the manager of the city, greets you. Also, the brother Quartus. First, it must be noted that Titus is not present, yet Titus was with Paul in Corinth. But according to Luke in Acts chapter 20, Timothy, Luke himself, Sosipatris, and Gaius were all among those who were with Paul in the Troad. While Tertius did not mention the other men who were with Paul, Aristarchus, Secundus, Tuchikos, or Trophimus, they were not as notable as Titus, who should not have been missed if he were there. Apparently, Tertius meant to describe these other unnamed men by the words, the whole assembly, in Romans 16.23. It may be argued, and the Judeo-Tards, the denominational Christians, love to say this, it may be argued that Erastus was a chamberlain or city manager at Corinth. But that is only inferred in the lexicons because it is believed that this epistle was written in Corinth. It is not true. Rather, Erastus first became known to Paul in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. And he may have been an Asiarch, one of the managers of the city there who were friendly to Paul, mentioned in Acts chapter 19 verse 31. But in Acts 19.31, it doesn't appear as the word Asiarch. It appears as certain of the chief of Asia. And that phrase, chief of Asia, was actually an official Roman designation. And Asiarches, which was, what, which would describe a manager of a city. Or anyone of a notable office in Asia. Paul later sent Erastus with Timothy to Macedonia, while Paul stayed in Ephesus. So he could hardly have been a city manager, a responsible position, in faraway Corinth. No, he was from Ephesus. Only later, long after Paul is imprisoned, is Erastus mentioned as having been in Corinth in 2 Timothy chapter 4. But people moved around all the time. Look at Priscilla and Aquila. They were living in Rome, and the Egypt of Claudius came, and they had to leave. So Paul met them in Corinth. He met them in Corinth, and they stayed in Corinth the whole time Paul was in Corinth. They left with him to go to Cancria and, and to sail to, to Syria in 52 AD. And Paul found them in Ephesus later, when he got to Ephesus in 53 AD. And they stayed in Ephesus for, for a long time until he wrote the, this epistle to the Romans and Priscilla and Aquila are back in Rome, living in, in Rome once again because they could return there. 
So Erastus was not a city manager in Corinth. Paul found him in Ephesus. He wasn't in Corinth until years later. The circumstances outlined here from Romans chapters 15 and 16 clearly demonstrate that the epistle was written after the gathering of the disciples to Paul when he reached the Troad in the spring of 57 AD. One last note of interest. In Romans chapter 16, Priscilla and Aquila had evidently moved back to Rome from Ephesus. They were probably compelled to leave after the trouble with the silversmiths, and evidently in the days of Nero, the city was once again open to Judeans, even though it was a great risk for Christians. Yahweh willing, we shall soon, I'm sorry, Yahweh willing, we shall return soon to discuss the chronology of Paul's arrest and imprisonment and also the writing of his last six epistles, all of them written after his arrest in Jerusalem. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and good night.